Progressive presents Forced Metaphors, about bundling your home auto and other vehicles. Any sports fan knows defense wins championships. Your championship is your boat, motorcycle, RV, or ATV. And your best defense is the round-the-clock protection offered by Progressive, which is like having a goalie, a 7-foot shot-blocking specialist, and a linebacker all wrapped into one. Which, to circle back, means you're going to win the championship. Because, you know, defense. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. You're listening to the best of the TomBernardShow.com, brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant. Who, me? <laughs> so I'd like to know if I was married to a whore piece of shit. <laughs> You can just look at her license. My special stripe. That was amazing. Oh my gosh. Coming by sweet corn, potatoes, onions, pickles. It's not how you use them, sir. <laughs> it's really sickening that anybody would be into radio this much. It is ungoddamn believable. I think I'm going to hell. I just realized it. Thank you, Tom. You're just delicious. we're here today with michael bryant brad sean bryant michael what's going on you know we keep getting phone calls and it's interesting because people try to handle a lot of stuff on their own or they try to talk to the adjusters or they wait um and they think maybe it'll cost them money if they talk to me and you know we tell them it's free to talk to us um i go through what their rights are and you know we try to help them as best we can we don't sign everyone up sometimes i just give them advice and they go from there and then call us back later but the key is is that they don't know all their rights or they're not told all the rights by the adjuster and that's one of the things we try to make sure that they get you know they get that understanding uh so they can help themselves and their families the best they can and the number is is 800-770-7008 or at the website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Brad, Sean, Bryant, Michael Bryant, thank you. Seeking justice for the injured, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast, brought to you, as always, by Brad Sean Bryant. Kicking off the show this week, we had a couple authors on the phone, I was going to say in studio, Brian Solis, on his book, Life Scale, How to Live a More Creative, Productive, and Happy Life. Next on the best of. Brian, how are you? I am well. How are you? Marvelous. Brian, I have to ask you a question because I'm a huge, lifelong Minnesota Twins fan. Um, So where are you from originally, Brian? Uh, Originally from... Uh, Los Angeles. Originally, okay. We uh, there was one of my favorite Twins players of all time was Mark Salas, and the only other person I've ever met with that last name is now you, which I think is very very cool. What's the derivation of the name Salas? <laughs> the eth- you know, what's the I, ethnicity? to be honest with you, I have no no idea. It's, I, it's, there's definitely Hispanic there, um, but that's about, about about the best I can do. Uh, well, that's cool. I just, like, I just wanted you to know your 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 name's been used well in Major League Baseball, so that's good news, right there. <laughs> Escape from the dark side of this. Excellent, exactly. Escape from the dark side of distractions to live a better life. Are you struggling with any of the following? Focus, yes. Procrastination, yes. Anxiety, yes. Self-esteem, yes. Forgetfulness and creativity. Uh, y- you know, uh, we were just kind of in a way talking about that, Brian. If you don't mind me calling you Brian. Um, oh, please. Uh, is it because of social media that we've lost uh, our ability to pay attention? Um, th- social media, uh, gaming, and all the rest of it has changed our lives completely, hasn't it? It seems to me that it has. Do you agree with that? Well, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it's all by design. It's not that we've lost our ability. It's that it's been programmed out of us, and that is oh. something that I don't necessarily think any of us have been, uh, I don't think we signed that in the terms and conditions of using these apps, but 
Uh, it's called persuasive design, and a lot of these, uh, these apps and services and games use it as a matter of hooking you more and more. There's no doubt about it. It, it just amazes me. Uh, and, and just a quick re-reference to it all, baseball is not very popular among young people as it used to be. When I was a kid, it was America's game, and I love baseball. But it takes too long for there to be a result. In other words, with a game, when you're gaming, you get immediate results every time you do something, don't you? Right? Oh, ab- absolutely. The same with social media. If you post something online, yeah. you expect immediate reaction. So, so is it, have we gotten to a point where if we don't have immediate reaction on things, we are bored with them and we don't want to be involved with them unless we get immediate reaction? Oh, man. <laughs> it's so much worse than that. And, and I, I'm a hopeless optimist, oh. so I don't want to get everybody too down. But, uh, <laughs> well, that's you know, great. Look, we're, uh, we're rewiring our brains in ways that are speeding up not just to want instant gratification, but the constant need for the, you know, the chemicals that are introduced into our bodies as we're sort of feeling and, and going through social media and gaming. And, you know, in many ways, it, it becomes sort of like a substance addiction, right? Because that's the same way your body's reacting to a lot of the things that we use. And really, right. what that's doing to us in the long term, not just affecting our ability to watch sports, but it's the ability to do work or to be productive or to be creative or to be absolutely focused in the moment. And all of those things are essential for life. Yeah, I understand. We're talking to Brian Solis. It's S-O-L-I-S. The book is called Life Scale, How to Live a More Creative, Productive, and Happy Life. I have, I'm holding the book in my hand right now, Brian, and I'm telling you, I'm very, very happy that I am because my wife is sitting next to me and she's looking at me like, you need all these things. Yes, please. <laughs> I, I need more focus. I need more creativity. I, I got to get rid of anxiety. I'm not a procrastinator, though, am I, honey? I don't procrastinate much. Uh, you do in in the form of changing your mind back and forth twenty five times. Oh, Brian, what am I going to do? She you just stabbed me, me right in the back. You asked me. I just I love the way well, this book is laid out. By the way, I'm, I'm a marriage therapist, so I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm a marriage therapist. Well, thanks, Brian. That's, that I feel much better now. Uh, did you did you design the book yourself? All the things because I love the way. The book begins. I, I just, uh, you know, opened the, the front cover, and it's Brian Solis, Life Scale, Unlock New Possibilities, Break Free from Distractions, Focus, Spark Creativity. Then you turn the page. It's all, all the stuff. It's visualize, silence, reorient, value, liberate. I mean, I, I just love how this thing is laid out as you go into the book. It's very, very smart, I think. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you. It was, I mean, if you're going to talk about distractions and how, mobile devices, social media gaming have, have affected our, let's just say, attention span and how we read and how we learn. Uh, I wanted to understand those design techniques and use them in a positive way to apply to paper to get someone to read and feel productive, feel inspired, feel motivated. And so the same techniques that go into the phone in a bad way, I used in a positive way in the book's design. Mm-hmm as a means of showing that we don't have to abandon technology, we just need to be smarter about how we use it. I think that's absolutely brilliant. And I I will tell you, uh, what I always do when I'm going to interview someone, when I get the book, I don't want to open it and look into it uh, too much because I want a a fresh take from you, the author, on it. I do love the fact that uh, a few pages in, it's basically the Brian Solis version of Candyland. It's from Realize to Life Scale Unlocked. There's this little game you go along, and it's like Candyland, isn't it? It was, it was definitely... Uh, I'm applauding you over here. It's, uh, it's, it was inspired by both Candyland and Shoots and Ladders. I love it. I, I think it's very, very smart. Because I think if we if we look at our achievements as kind of games, they don't seem so. These tasks don't seem so daunting. It's just here. Just take. There's a nice little path for you. Follow the path, and and pay attention. Uh, you know, realize uh, great awareness. All these. I love this book. I'm I'm holding it right now, and I think particularly Brian. And maybe it's. See, I have this feeling that I really need to read this book right now. But maybe it's because we all need to understand life scale. You know, I hope so. It's the it's the it's my eighth book, but it's my first personal book, and it was because I found myself struggling by the very things I have been studying for the last you know fifteen fifteen years, and I I realized that 
while technology was the source of a lot of these distractions and interruptions and even in, in mm-hmm. some cases addictions, what the solution was was more human. And I think that's because we're the first generation in history to have access to these, n- not just incredible tools, but access to real-time information, access to anything we want, when we want, how we want. You know, networks of people who are all over the world, people who follow us for what we do, uh, almost like we've become mini-celebrities in, in a sense. And with that mm-hmm. comes all of the things that a world of celebrity introduces. No one teaches you or trains you for that moment. No one teaches you to be ready for all of these distractions. But somehow, some way, we've got to learn how to manage them. And so what I needed was this book. Uh, so... And there wasn't really anything like it, and I was hoping other people might need an, a manual for how to take control of life today and thrive in it and teach others how to thrive in it. I think it makes total sense. Another great point that you make in the book, uh, foster a strong sense of purpose in life and identify the steps needed to achieve it every day. I think that's very, very important because I think, uh, you know, we have our children on the show with us as well. They're 32 and 30 years old. Uh, so, yeah, to have a purpose in life is very very important but i do think a lot of a lot of uh i don't millennials gets used a lot but a lot of younger people i'll say rather than millennials they they just don't seem to feel they have a purpose yet uh is that the usual thing for people in their teens and 20s they just don't and even into their 30s they just don't really understand what their purpose in life might be you know, I think it's a little bit its a little bit of everything, uh, because the world is introducing so many opportunities to them that, you know, look, uh, the generations before them have followed a life course that's been pretty pretty consistent for, for generations. Uh, but in that life course, things like, the things that our parents and their parents sort of accepted as standards, as definitions of happiness, what the goal of success would look like. I think a lot of things are now coming into question, for better or for worse, and the access to information, the access to other people, the access access to on-demand diversity all around the world, I think is showing people that there's more to life than what had been handed down to them generations and generations ago. So while it might not necessarily be a purpose, I think this is also a time why, say, you and I and, and any teacher or parent need to read these this book and books like it is to help understand their mindset and understand where they are in a world that's completely different. A digital first brain sees everything different than an analog first brain. And Mm -hmm. so someone needs to help them, someone needs to lead them, and yet we still think that millennials and centennials are going to keep building bridges back to analog societies when, in fact, we're the ones who have to build bridges to them in order to help them find that purpose, their goals, and help them understand what modern happiness and success looks like. I do like that take on it, the fact that, that older people, and I don't mean old people, I just mean people who are a bit older than, you know, some of their coworkers, their family, whatever. I think you're absolutely right, because it didn't happen that way in the past. I do remember, you know, it's like, well, you need to learn it like your grandma did and your grandpa did and mom and dad and all the Well, it's not like that anymore. It's it, We all need to grow together because the world is completely different. The digital age has changed the world forever. So I do think people... Uh, you know, maybe in their 60s, 70s, because 70s not that old anymore. That's the other thing that's kind of complicating things. It used to be that 70 was an old person, and that's not true anymore. So for them to reach backward and say, hey, you know what, I need to connect with with 45-year-olds, but I also need to con- con- connect with 20-year-olds. That makes sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. And what I call it Generation C, where the C stands for connected, because essentially what's happening mm-hmm. is, you know, as technology rewires our brains and our bodies, we're all becoming much more similar than we think. And so it wasn't an age group anymore. It was a lifestyle. So the way that you know, if anybody uses Uber or Facebook or Instagram, you know, we share a lot of similarities in behaviors and thoughts and processes. And so understanding that uh, and reverse engineering that allows us to get back to where we can all grow together instead of what we're seeing today uh, in terms of polarization or in terms of us versus them or things like you can see play out in politics. It's, there's, there's no solution in creating divides. There's only solutions in understanding one another and creating bridges to one another. And that starts with realizing that we got to learn and unlearn some new things because nothing's going to go back to the way it was. Was it your idea to format the book the way you did? Because I think it's brilliant. You know, I'm going to uh, 
I'm going to give you a virtual high five. I really appreciate that. Yes, it, it, this is my third book in exploring what I call an analog app, sort of taking these digital mm-hmm. design techniques mm-hmm. and applying it to paper as a means of just understanding that it is very difficult to read linearly and learn linearly in the way in the past. And so it's a visual metaphor for showing how you can reimagine and reinvent everything around us today to not only be mo- modern, but empathetic. And so the design, while I think it's super creative and beautiful, it's also incredibly functional in a way that says, look, yeah. I'm, I'm not a millennial by any means, but here's what reinvention looks like. And all I had to do was just allow myself to give myself permission and space to think differently. And I think, look, at the end of the day, one of the reasons why I put creativity in the subtitle uh, of the book and, and as a common theme throughout the book is, look, we're... Li- we're I'm starting to move into a, a deep generation of artificial intelligence and machine learning where the devices that we use every single day are now starting to process and recognize patterns and starting to perform automated tasks that are going to affect jobs. And so things like creativity, things like innovation, and, you know, creativity is a pillar of innovation. This is a time for us to actually expand our thinking, expand our ideas, chase those ideas, because machines can't do that. Yeah, no doubt. I I would say this, uh, we only have about a minute left, uh, but I would say the book, I just was sitting, you know, reading the book as we're talking to Brian, and it's a lot of fun the way it's formatted, yes, but the information you've gathered together along with that format, uh, it's it's a great book. It's a really, really good book. Um, And Look, just on the front cover, unlock new possibilities. Everybody wants new things in their lives. There are lots of possibilities. Break free from distractions, which I have to learn how to do much better, Brian. I'm not very good at I get distracted quite easily, to tell you the truth. Focus and spark creativity. These are great things. Life scale, how to live a more creative, productive, and happy life. Good job with the book, Brian. It's terrific to talk to you as well, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. That was Eric Solis on The Best Of. Coming up next, we had another author on. It was a little bit of an abbreviated week, but we did manage to get Dahlia Schweitzer talking about her book. L.A. Private Eyes, next on The Best Up. Try your best to win them all, and one day time will tell. When you're the one left standing there, you reach the final bell. You're the best around. Dahlia Schweitzer, me? ladies and gentlemen, I can hear you beautifully. Thank you. Perfect. I absolutely can. The book's called L.A. Private Eyes. L.A. Private Eyes examines the tradition of the private eyes that evolves in films, books, and television shows set in Los Angeles from the 1930s through the present day. So I only want to go that far, Dahlia, because, yeah, why is that, that L.A. was kind of like the onset of the private eye? There were cops in New York, and there were cops in Boston, but once you got to L.A., there were a lot of private eyes, which I love those private eye movies, by the way. I should tell you that. As but why did that happen? Yeah. It has Why to did do that happen with, you? if you even just think about Los Angeles in terms of horizontal sprawl versus mm-hmm. a oh, city yeah. like New York and Chicago, which is much more vertical. And so yep. Los Angeles needs someone who can traverse the entire expanse. And if you think about just cops in Los Angeles, they only do specific little areas, right? So you have, like, the cop who patrols downtown or Venice or whatever. Yeah. So you really need yeah. the private eye to travel through all the different neighborhoods. That makes complete sense to me. See, I learned something already, Dahlia. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, then you can always dig deeper, but that's, that's the most obvious difference between Los Angeles and cities like New York. No, you're absolutely right. That makes complete sense that you would, yeah, if it was a cop show. I mean, you know, they do have, like, Bosch is set in Los Angeles, I believe. Uh, the um, Michael Connolly books, uh, Titus Welliver plays them on, what is that on his own? No, that's in Los Angeles. It's in Los Angeles. Yeah, that is in, it is in Los Angeles, yeah. Which, uh, you know, yeah. he's a cop in that, and he, you know, at first, anyway. But in any case, uh, I did find that, did Raymond Chandler, is he the first one that said, hey, 
was he the first one out of the box with the private eye and the because his books to this day are extremely readable they're very good i think yes he's he's the one who really brought it to brought sort of the private eye to los angeles you had dashiell hammett but he was in san francisco yeah. and so yep. raymond chandler philip marlowe and the big sleep was really the first to kind of, you know, bring the detective to Los Angeles, integrate sort of elements of Hollywood and noir and all that with the mystery. God, I, I just thought, why, why do you think it is that you, uh, you're a woman, I'm a man, you're probably a lot younger than I am, and we're both just fascinated by, uh, because I still, to this day, have, oh, it's a private eye movie, I, I think I'd like that. I mean, just the fact that it's a private oh, eye interests me. Yeah. I love those movies, and it's funny because I started working on this book after I finished my previous book, which dealt with the end of the world and the apocalypse and zombies and all that, and it was kind of mm-hmm. like I needed a palate cleanser to sort of soothe me after seeing all these portrayals of the apocalypse, and I think the thing that's so great about these private eye narratives is you know that the private eye is going to solve it by the end. You know that pieces are going to be put back where they belong. You know that the private detective is always going to act with integrity. He's going to do the right thing. You know, there's something very affirming about that. The private detective can tell which information should be ignored and which information should be observed. I mean, all this stuff, which I think is still relevant now in 2019. You know what I find fascinating about private eye stories, too? And I suppose they kind of, kind of bumped up against it in cop stories but with the private eye because they're not employed by the city they may be hired out as a uh, again a private investigator but they're a lot of them turn into kind of booze houndy people and you know you know what i'm talking about well you didn't have that straight yeah, cop. Ex- yeah it was wonderful i love that about it these are actually human beings i like that well they're always they're they're on the outside, right? They, they're people who don't mm-hmm. fit in. They're mavericks, right, for lack of a better yep. word. And I even talk in the book about how they really are the modern-day cowboy because they are yeah. kind of riding through Los Angeles on their own. Sometimes they work with the cops, but sometimes they're working against the cops. They follow their own rules. They have their own code of ethics, but that code of ethics might not directly correspond to what's legal and what's illegal. Um, they're, they've always got to have some kind of a failed relationship, right? They can't ever be happily married with a wife and two and a half kids. You know, usually they're right. divorced or they're widowed or they've never <laughs> been married. They're smoking, they're drinking. You know, they've got to be oh, tortured yeah. because that's part of their persona, that they are this loner. They can't get along well yeah. with others. And I guess that's why I, I love it so much because it's, you know, I, this might be hard for you to believe, Dahlia, but I didn't always follow the rules as a kid. So maybe that's why I identify. Neither did I. <laughs> well, gee, there's a shock. Uh, it takes a closer look at narratives, uh, both on screen and on the printed page, in which detectives travel the streets of Los Angeles uncovering corruption, moral ambiguity, and greed with conviction. You know, that's funny. i, I got to stop there because the word greed popped up. That, that if La- mm-hmm. Los Angeles, wherever private eyes exist, if you just use the word greed now, they'd never run out of business. I will tell you that. Nope. They'd, nope. Have ca- they'd have cases for the rest of time. <laughs> yep. And th- and the, it's always very important that the private detective isn't greedy. Right. right. The private well, it's detective very is one yeah. who's only like, you know, I'll, I, it's just $5 a day plus expenses or whatever, you know, because he's got integrity. Yep. Um, but, yes, it's everyone around him. I mean, that's what you see, you know, in the movie Chinatown. It's all about the greed of the people in authority. Well, they should do a, a whole bunch of. I, you should write a, about a million private eye books because it's very hard to find a person these days that's not greedy. Uh, money's kind of taken yeah. over not not only the United States but world culture. Money is everything now. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think really that's one of uh, yet another way in which the private eye is a novelty because the novel the, the private mm-hmm. eye is not obsessed with money, and you see that even with like contempt. I mean, even if you want to go back to your example of Bosch. Um, you know, the Michael Connolly character, he doesn't right. care about money. He's not interested in making nope. it rich. He's interested in doing the right thing. Which is, that's why I love it so much. I mean, you just nailed it right there, and it's, mm-hmm. I guess it's very obvious, but I am interested in people who are interested in doing the right thing. I, I find that fascinating because yeah. it's, is it, is it, uh, it's so vacant in the real world that, that nobody lives there and trying to do the right thing anymore? 
No, that's why it, it, there's something very kind of reassuring and nostalgic about it. Yep. You know, the, yeah. the private detective doesn't want to be a social media influencer. You know, he's like, he's old school. <laughs> he does, you know, he has integrity. God, that is... Pr- now, I, I, I haven't run across it myself, but I just, this is very quick. Is there a private eye out there that uses social media a lot in any any book or TV show? Because I, I don't know of one, but they must. Somebody must be using it. I would imagine in their work. I would think. That's a really good question, and I can't think. I mean, Veronica Mars is the most yeah. sort of the most updated version of the private eye, um, and so I'm sure there must be some use of social media. I mean, I'm curious to see what happens with the reboot that's coming out later this, uh, in actually a couple months um, because the mo- I can't remember. The movie probably had it, but it wasn't a big part of it because I think there's something about the private eye that's still kind of old-fashioned. So I don't know if there's yeah, a private think, eye yeah. movie or television show that uses them a lot. Nadalia, did your, did your parents... Uh, were they big fans? Because my mother was a huge Philip Marlowe fan, and there, there was a lot of influence there, obviously, for me. Because my mother loved the, the – they were called Private Dicks back then, which I don't know why they were called yep. that, but they were. But she yep. loved those uh, those movies, and, I, and then therefore I watched them with her, and she would enjoy them. And, and I ended up – well, first of all, great acting. Re- a lot of really good acting yeah. in those movies. I – my dad and I – enjoyed Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah, um, sure. But I think that's kind of as far as the overlap went, and then I sort of fell Ooh. down the rabbit hole on my own. Um, and I know, like, as a small child, I discovered Encyclopedia Brown and Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys sure. and Tom Swift, and I think yeah. I kind of found it on my own, and then that morphed into Agatha Christie and Arthur Conan Doyle, and then I got really into Michael Connolly when I moved to Los Angeles because I, yeah. I it was just it felt extra cool to be reading these mysteries that were set in the same city in which I lived. See, I think that's very true. It is interesting thinking about that. In my generation, the generation before yours, we didn't have any of those uh, characters. You were talking about the Nancy Drews, and you know, and available on television. Certainly, um, there was right. not a whole lot of that. So, yeah, you, you're very lucky to grow up in the area in which you grew up because uh, it was a good era for the, for for all that stuff. Uh, young kids could follow along. What would be, I guess child child private detectives in a way i guess just you know investigators more than the detective i guess just investigating this that and the other thing but do, do we then live vicariously through these characters is that another big part of it dahlia 100 percent um and i yeah. think kind of like i was saying that we need the private detective to navigate the city of los angeles because the city of los angeles is so big and most people tend to you know, kind of stay in whatever neighborhood they consider to be their home. So it's not only that the private detective can traverse, you know, from Koreatown to Beverly Hills to Los Feliz to Van Nuys, whatever, but he can also talk to the people who live in those neighborhoods. So he can talk to the very rich, he can talk to the very poor. And so he does become our eyes and ears for sort of understanding Los Angeles as this kind of, you know, the last vestige of the Wild West. Yeah, you know, and I think that's that was part of it, because I grew up in Minnesota. I was born in Minnesota, grew mm-hmm. up in Minnesota, and I do remember reading those those books as a kid and in my teen years and younger, you know, pretty much throughout my life. But yeah, to, to be sitting in Minnesota in, in February, and it's about 40 below outside, and you're reading about a guy wandering around Los Angeles where it's nice and warm and there are palm trees, it was a, another mm-hmm. way to escape the horrible weather. I mean, it was. It was wonderful. Oh, of do you have to have an imagination, or can all people do that? Can all people do what? Enjoy the private eye books? Yeah, I mean, you kind of live vicariously. Just realizing you are escaping bad weather by reading about how a guy just got pulled over, you know, underneath a palm tree, and it was a little, you know, it was a beautiful day. <laughs> you know, just hearing about I mean, that I'm- while you're... I would hope that, that everyone could kind of, um, you know, paint the picture in their head. Because I think it's, all, it's not just the warm weather. It's also, you know, the sort of the, the glow of Hollywood, the glamour, the corruption. I mean, it's sort of, it's a very vivid picture. 
And so I think that it becomes very easy to depict it, especially, you know, like, say, you're growing up in Minnesota. It's like you have this very um, kind of stereotyped image of Los Angeles where you have the glamorous yeah. movie stars rubbing shoulders with the mobsters, and you have the government corruption, and then you it's like money, 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 greed, greed, greed. Um, and so I think the city itself is a very good canvas for writers of these narratives. It becomes very oh, it's absolutely true. Yeah, it's not, it's unlike any other city I've ever. To tell you the truth, uh, you know, I've lived in Chicago, I've lived in in uh, New York, uh, you know, lived down the you know close to Miami, but I've never lived in Los Angeles, and therefore, it's just totally different than any other big city. I, I think you find it, it's just not like Chicago or New York or not even San Francisco. It's its own town. I think. It's completely different. I mean, both, I think, mm-hmm. in the way that it was developed, but also the way that it functions even today. It's completely the opposite of a place like New York. No doubt about it. I, uh, I will be reading. you got to write book after book after book, because I think this is a wonderful thing. I had, I had a close friend who died a few years ago. Vince Flynn wrote 15 bestsellers. Uh, it wow. was just wonderful stuff. And watching him do that was really, really cool, and developing... It was funny because Vince was like 6'3", probably weighed about 230, solid muscle, very, very handsome guy. I mean, he was the private detective, but he wrote stories where where his, uh, you know, they were just very interesting because you could see a lot of him in them. Uh, and I suppose that's 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 what a good writer is. You, it kind of comes through, and, and therefore I find it fascinating that a young woman, Dahlia Schweitzer, would write L.A. Private Eyes. I'm I'm very happy that you're you're fascinated with the genre, and I hope it lives forever. I will tell you that. Thank you. I do too. Most definitely. So the book is available everywhere. This is Dahlia. By the way, great website. This is Dahlia. That was a good move. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. So we will keep an eye on you. And please come back and join us. I'd like to talk a lot more about uh, what's coming up in the future. But thank you so much for this because it is it, it means so much to me. And I kind of, you know, while talking to you, I had memories of my mom sitting there watching, you know, Raymond Chandler. It was very, very cool. I appreciate your time, Dahlia. Of course. Thank you so much. It's our great pleasure. Dahlia Schweitzer, ladies and gentlemen. Again, this is Dahlia, D-A-H-L-I-A. This is Dahlia.com. We'll be right back in just a couple of minutes with the family. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. We're gonna win twins. We're gonna score. We're gonna win twins. What's that baseball soul? That was Dahlia Schweitzer on the best of... Coming up next, thanks to the twins doing something we haven't seen in a long time. We're closing out the show. We're opening up the old vaults. Going all the way back to episode number 81 with Kent Herbeck and Tim Loudner. One of my all-time favorites. Next on The Best Of... Plus, I'm still pissed off at him. Played golf with him about 20 years ago in Golden Valley, and you quit. The last played, time I played golf with you, I, no I way. Does John put his ball in his pocket? You don't play golf anymore. <laughs> yeah, he does. He played. He was you, playing he golf does again. Path and he quit. Wait a minute. You play golf again? Well, I've played golf, but I just don't. I'm, I'm, I'd rather be fishing. Right. Well, that's the last time I talked to you. You said you want to go fishing and hunting. He's playing a lot more. So where you? We're back. Outdoor. <laughs> oh, that's the old show that we have. Kent Herbeck, outdoors. There you go. That's well, because, right. Because of today, Kent no longer owes me 150 bottles of beer. Because I did voiceover. How many years do you have your show? Five, I think it was. Five or six. Yeah. So, so he'd call me and go, would you do a couple of liners for me? I said, yeah, okay. This week on Kent Herbeck, outdoors. There he is. There he is. <laughs> so I, he said, I'll buy you a beer. I said, yeah, that's fine. That sounds good. So over a five-year period, <laughs> it's worked up to we, worked up about 150 beers, but yeah. now you guys coming in today, now we're even again. So it all worked Do you hear that beeping? The cake's truck uh, is banging <laughs> right now as we speak. <laughs> well, you know, that's how. But anyway, so I'm playing with Thank uh, you, by Kent. the way, for doing that. Oh, God, that was a play. That was yeah. fun for me. 
That was fun that for me. That took a while for, no, for a thank you. Oh, no. <laughs> Man, she's not you. Wow. This is unbelievable. The bohemian Mother. blood. Oh, that's right. You're both bohemian. I forgot it's about that. Right. Sassy. Yaksimash. Yaksimash. So Tim, Tim and I are standing on the ninth tee at Golden Valley. It's like 360. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, dog leg left. Dog leg left. Little bunker out there. So I take out my driver. And he knows, I mean, the guy knows every <laughs> hole and it's unbelievable. So I take out my driver and I hit it and it goes, you know, somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. He pulls out a one iron, hits it about 20 yards from the green. Remember that shot? No. Oh, my. Well, that's true. You hit him all the time. So yeah. it matter. Well, I don't know about one that. Iron. I'm not kidding you. You hit a one iron and you said you had never hit it before. You pulled that one iron out and. I could not believe it. I mean, it was low and just boring. And I don't mean boring as in boring. I mean in a good way. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember that. But not fun to play with because he just. Oh, he's a ball to play with. Well, he's but, a ball to play with. But, but I mean, not I go up and hit my golf ball twice and then he finally hits his. <laughs> exactly right. I've had, uh, I've had a lot of fun since my retirement playing golf. And, yep. and I remember not long after. I retired. I was I was playing at a local club, and the my, the guys that I met there, who are still very very good friends of mine, um, used to send a limo to make sure I got to the golf course because they were taking every nickel I had. <laughs> <laughs> they were beating up on me left and right, and it was either go broke or get better. And so I tried to get better, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. And I've met just a ton of of wonder wonderful people in the golf yeah. community. In this state, and, and even a little bit outside this state, so the, there are uh, you know a pile of people, uh, the, people that come up to me and say, "Why don't you, why don't you try the senior tour?" Yeah, I yeah, can't yeah. beat the guys in the state of Minnesota. <laughs> why would I want to try to go and play on on the senior tour when those guys are really, really good? There's and there's some guys in their late forties right now that are going to turn fifty that are on the senior tour. That's yeah. stupid, yeah. stupid to think that you can go and compete against those guys that have. Made made their career at that craft and they're still very very good at it oh they are tim timmy Heron was just on the podcast yesterday we talked about that knucklehead i love him (laughs) he's a great guy i love him he won't say a bad thing about anybody i tried to get get him off the air i tried to get some stories (laughs) i'm like come on dish some dirt about the golfers what it's doing no dirt he uh we played with him here this fall right before matter of fact he had four events left yeah to make his card and he was Struggling to make it. Was it was the last day, wasn't it? the last day he won. Yeah. Then he went on, like on, it was on the back nine, actually, wasn't it? Yeah. Actually had a he couple doubled, of guys. Didn't he doubled like 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're watching. Herbie and I are watching. We're texting back and <laughs> yeah. forth because oh, we're man. pulling for him so hard. And yeah. you could see his projected number. Yeah. Right. And I he makes, I think he makes birdie on he knocked, 16. He knocked one in the water. And then he goes to the seventh and, he, and he's projected at 105. What a jump from 136 to 105 is huge. Huge. Yeah. And so he goes to 17. And he absolutely drills it right into the water, and I go, "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> you can hear him in the background. Yeah. Absolutely, right. <laughs> you can hear him in the background. Here, and he's screaming at himself. He leaves his bogey putt one turn from going in the cup, yeah. and he makes a double, from and he goes back to one twenty-four yeah. projected one twenty-four. Well, he creased one right down eighteen. And he hits his second shot to the green. I hear the announcer go, oh, that's got to get down. I'm like, oh, my God, you're in the other green. <laughs> and, but he hit it pin high, right of the pin, and his putt stayed on the left edge. It was hanging over the edge. Oh, God. He taps in for par. He's still projected at 124. And finally, the announcer says, I don't think there's anybody in the course that can go past him. Really? And then he made the putt. The one that was hanging over the edge. He didn't whiff it, so that's good. I can make it. And uh, so Herbie and I, we texted him, and uh, he texted me back, and he called me in the middle of the week. Funniest story ever. He tells me that. This will be the judge of that. (laughs) (laughs) He tells me he played in the Pro-Am at Disney that week. Oh, right. Yeah, he brought that up yesterday. With Joe Maurer. Did he bring that up? He Joe Maurer was, was George McNeil's partner, and Timmy had somebody else. And Timmy says, uh, "I said, really, how'd that go for you?" He goes, "Yeah, well, it was fine." And Joe's a nice guy. I said, "You know, he is a nice guy. Joe's a nice kid." That's what I understand. And so Timmy says, "I could have fixed him, but I didn't." And I said, "Fixed him? 
What the hell are you talking about? He says, well, he hits this push cut all the time. And I said, really? No kidding, Timmy. What do you think he does 500 times when he goes to the plate at uh, at, uh, at Target Field? Yeah. He hits a push cut every time he goes yeah, up to the plate. Yeah. Hey, somebody get their phone. I, huh? bet, Alex. That, I bet I don't know how to just Diamond pick it Dallas up. Page. Just pick it up and hang it up. <laughs> pick it up yeah. and say hello. Don't say hi. It ain't say me. Hi. There he's on. You said hello. He's on. Hi. Hello. Who is this? Hello. Is this Diamond <laughs> Dallas Page? Oh, my God. What are you doing? You're only 50 minutes late, dude. <laughs> <laughs> they told me one o'clock. They told me one o'clock. You guys fans of Diamond Dallas I Page? I have pieces of paper that say It's five 11. minutes to 12. He said one o'clock. He's an hour early. He must be Eastern time. He's in Florida. Right, he's in Flo- oh, you're in Florida, yeah. yeah. Which is Eastern time. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was Southern time, Sean. Oh. Well, no. <laughs> Southern time. <laughs> Is it there a half hour time Can't change between Cincinnati and St. Louis? Uh, yeah, I think that's so right. Close? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. A half an hour time change. Diamond Dallas Page, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Kent, you're a huge wrestling fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're talking to Kent Herbeck and Tim Laudner from the 1987 World Championship Minnesota Twins World Series winners. They're with us in studio, Dallas. So you, you've been good? I moved to Atlanta. That's why my time stuff kind of switched around on me. They love me in Atlanta, by the way. Oh, yeah, because of Ron Gant. Oh, yeah, that's right. They love Kent there. Oh. <laughs> so you're a baseball fan, I would assume. A big, not, not, a, not a big baseball fan. Is it true that you were the Pennsylvania High School Basketball Player of the Year? <laughs> Considering I grew up in New Jersey? Yeah. <laughs> oh, then Bob Sansevier gave me the wrong information. So it was New Jersey. He's all state in two states. Yeah. yeah. So you were, all, you, were, you were Player of the Year in New Jersey? No, that's what I do. <laughs> oh, Bob Sansevier, who's a local sports writer here, who's from Tom's River, New Jersey, told me you were you played in Pennsylvania, and he told me you were the high school player of the year. It must be so, another Diamond Dallas page. Yeah, another different DDP. How's it? How's DDP going? By the way, it's pretty crazy. One day about five weeks ago, kind of same situation, sitting around doing podcast, phone rings. It's Diamond Dallas page. So, ah, oh, DDP, uh, you know, used to watch him uh, as a professional wrestler for many, many years, all the rest of it. So what's going on? And, and then Catherine said, by the way, the reason that Diamond Dallas Page is on is because you're now on the program. I said, oh, I am? I didn't realize I was. <laughs> surprise, surprise. It was, a, it was a, it kind of surprised me. So that, <laughs> that day, um, we did the, I had my, my uh, body mass index tested. And my body mass in, index came in at 225. Got on the scale, weighed 316.6. So I had a little fat to lose. <laughs> but I'm down You're to... telling my story. <laughs> <laughs> but this morning I was down to 303. So, you know, 13 and a half, a little over 13 and a half pounds in five weeks. Things pretty good, you know. Works for me. Yeah, it is, absolutely. It's already going in that direction. Yeah. The thing is, you got, you got major athletes there, you know, guys who played at a whole different level. You get to the show, you are as, as high as you can get as an athlete, but you also beat the hell out of your body all through high school, all through college, all through your professional career, and because you're a superior athlete, you partied a little bit, too, you know? And, no. No. You know, no. Especially not you. You, you, know, so you. you add all that abuse that you put on your body and the mental, because anybody who's gotten to the show on any level, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, wrestling, you have a different element of pain threshold than the normal person. You can push your body to lengths that people can't even, they can't even comprehend it. Baseball, football. Wrestling. I like, I, like the way I, like that. I like that DDP. That was nice. Never heard those all, all those put together like that. No, no. I got a question. I don't want. I don't want to work out anymore. I don't want to do it. I want. I'd, I'd like to stay in shape. I'd like to feel better. So, where can you go to find some motivation? To try and do things, I'm on not, Jimmy's program. Not oh. like the way you used to. I don't. I don't want to do stuff. I don't want to get out. I don't mind. I don't mind doing stuff. That's why I retired. I don't mind doing stuff recreationally. If I'm gonna, maybe if I go on a nice bike ride or or even walk some. But I don't want to go to the gym and work out. I don't want to get on an exercise bike, and I don't want to do all this stuff that I used to have to do to stay in shape for the for that particular job. And so I have to try 
and, and and figure out and look elsewhere for motivation to try and where do you, where's a good place to try and find that motivation? DDP. Other, other than you know when the doctor says to you, "Hey, your cholesterol is seven hundred. <laughs> um, we got a little problem here with yeah. your blood pressure, right. and you know what you're going to explode." All scary stuff, right? Yeah. Well, DDP stuff. has a yoga program. He can tell you about. You'll never lift a weight again. Now, let me let me throw something at you here. You, I'm so glad you said it exactly the way you said that because you're 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 part of the mass collection of the guys who do retire. The 99 percent of us. Yes, you busted your ass all through high school. You had fun, but you busted your ass. You busted your ass maybe through college, but you definitely busted your ass through all of the pros, crazy pro schedule that you had. And you know, I understand travel. We, I would when I was bouncing around in that ring, and people would say what they wanted about professional wrestling. But with professional wrestling, you can't say gravity. You know, that's you. I get you every time. Right. We wrestled two hundred and seventy-two days a year. That was my average for in my forties from four. 40 to 46, that was my average days a year bouncing in the ring. Now, to answer your question, what do you, you get to the end of your career, you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Let me tell you, bro, and this is straight shooting. When you get to the end of your professional career, I don't care what sport you were in, at that moment right there, that's the most important time for you to grab a hold of your fitness, whatever it is. I missed it. <laughs> you know, but you can always come back, and the later you do it, the harder it's going to exactly. be. Exactly. Yep, so, you're right. Exactly. Uh, I know because I live it. I've gotten in better shape since I've stopped, and now I'm 56. If you go to ddpyoga.com, the first video will come up be that disabled veteran. And just so people may hear the word yoga... Just go to any yoga site and then come to ddpyoga.com and what you'll hear immediately is some rock and roll music and then you'll hear like a jackhammer going against the wall and when the dust clears it'll say DDP and then boom, the yoga will slam right next to it then bang, I punch my fist through the O in yoga and then I stamp it with an ain't your mama's yoga. So, so violent. <laughs> so wrestling. So wrestling. You know, DDP, I need to tell you that Ken Herbeck, uh, when he was a, playing with the Twins, won two World Series, but his dream was to become a professional wrestler named T-Rex. That's my nickname is Rex because that was going to be my wrestling name. <laughs> that was great. The Tyrannosaurus Rex. T-Rex. Why, why didn't you do it? Why didn't you do it? Uh, my wife said I didn't look very good in a pair of tights. <laughs> <laughs> Smart woman. Mm-hmm. You do now. I still don't. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I I applaud you guys. I got to know the Baron real well, Mr. Von Roschke, um, Kenny J. Sergeant Slaughter. My buddy Sergeant Slaughter. Very capable. We're having Jake the Snake on next week. Oh, yeah? George Strapiron Kodaski. Those guys. Oh, man, I love them dudes. Sure. Let me tell you a little about Jake. Jake started the program four months ago. Um, I mean, Jake was as beat up as any of the guys I've seen, and some of the guys are really, really bad. And Jake was, he couldn't go from standing to the ground and back up again. We filmed the whole thing. We're filming a movie, The Resurrection of Jake the Snake. Um, and I told him I, I, I'd go down and film him down in Gainesville, Texas. And if he, and if he actually made gains on his own, because I put together this DVD collection that is so easy to follow, and I make it fun. And there's zero impact on your body, but it gives you kick-ass cardio, and it does incredibly increase your flexibility and your core strength conditioning. I gotta say, if you go to ddpyoga.com, go to the bottom of ddpyoga.com, and you'll see the crazy strength stuff I can do at 56 years old. I mean, I don't know this Jake the Snake. I know the Jake the Snake partier. I know Jake the Snake, the greatest wrestler, maybe top five ever. I know Jake the drug addict. I know Drake the drunk. I know all those Jakes. I know those guys. <laughs> Some guys. Wow. Parallel universe. That's in that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week. <laughs> so he turned his life around, and uh, you'll see when you guys talk to him, man. And when you said, where do you find the motivation? You're talking to him. If you guys actually would actually put the work, one-third of the work in, you put 
to get to what spot on the show that you got to. If you put one third of work in, I will guarantee you can on T Rex. I will guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> I will guarantee you, bro, that I can help you turn back the hands of time like you have never. Like you would go, I cannot believe this in less than three weeks. See, yeah. Timmy's contemplating. Yeah. Tim's over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still digesting. <laughs> Literally. I'm trying to figure out what's better than a Snickers bar and a bowl of ice cream. <laughs> we look forward to seeing So Jake the Snake is on when? Uh, next week. Next week Tuesday, sometime. I think. Tuesday or Wednesday. We'll track you down next week as well, DDP, if that's good with you. We'll uh, get, we got Jake Absolutely. the Snake booked. So we'll talk to you again next week. Absolutely. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Really honored to meet you guys. Do me, uh, if, if you guys, after you talk to Jake, give the, 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 the guys my number. You know how to get a hold of me. If you ever need anything, I'll hook you up, bro. Thanks, Thanks Dallas. DDP. Diamond Dallas Page. Diamond Dallas yep. Page. I didn't know you guys were bros. <laughs> he is a <laughs> piece of work. A bro. He calls me all the time. Hey, bro. I'm like, hmm. i got to check this out. It's amazing. It really is amazing. Yoga might be something that I can do. That I would. How are your knees? Uh, I got a new half. He's got, he's I got, got a new, new half. Knees. I just blew mine out. Your knees are okay. Uh, three weeks ago, uh, uh, okay, but you can modify. You can modify anything. <laughs> oh, I went really. with my my sweetheart one time to hot yoga, which was a seventy five oh, minute class. No. After five minutes, I went to get the coffee. No. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do hot yoga. First of all, hot yoga is really hard on you. Very, very difficult. And a 75 minute, I mean, those are hardcore yoga people. This might be the kind of deal for you. You have a little space. Can I do it in my fish house? You yep. can. You, you can do it. Yep, you can do it in your fish house. Well, Absolutely. You a, Only He, he tells you to try to stay away from like wheat and dairy. See, there it is again, Timmy. The wheat, wheat and dairy, yeah. We've been chatting about that. You've been talking. Over yeah. our bread and ice cream. <laughs> yes. We had the author of Wheat Belly. Have you heard the, the about you the book about Wheat Belly? Guy? Yeah. I think so. It's Dr. Yeah. William Davis. Okay. He's, a, <laughs> he's a cardiologist. He talks about this genetically uh, created uh, wheat that we have now, this Franken-wheat, he calls it. And that guys, especially big, like muscular guys, like you two, cannot digest that wheat. So it all turns to fat. You can't digest it properly. See, that's why I always, I always like to get white bread, and these guys would always sell me that. But white bread's the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> well, I yeah. know, but I agree with that. Right? He's even saying whole wheat is bad. Whole wheat's right. terrible. Yeah. you got to stay away from wheat. Yeah. Yeah, he says it's meat, fruits, yeah, and I vegetables. Like to eat. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's sort of the caveman diet. Kind of <laughs> yeah, lots of vegetables. You get not tons of fruit, but some fruit. Yeah, yeah. some fruit. He wants you to have uh, that's organic stuff. What kind of beer can you drink? <clears throat> uh, gluten free, but it's good. There's a lot of gluten. Got a, yeah. Do you want one? You want a beer? Gluten free one. What kind do you have? Do you want a beer? Bourbon's good, right? Twelve. You can have bourbon. There's no wheat in bourbon, right? Yeah, absolutely. But gluten free beer. Dodge the bullet there. No, but they. Because for a thousand years, not a thousand years, I mean, when I was a kid, mom would, we'd always have toast for breakfast right. or whatever, right. or, or make a sandwich, and we never once, when I was a kid, not one time can I remember my mom ever buying wheat bread. Never. Right. It was right. always uh, Wonder Bread. It was bread. always yep. Wonder Bread. Oh, uh, Wonder Bread. Yeah, and a couple <laughs> of Twinkies <laughs> on the side. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Did you right. find it? Yeah, I went to find it. Well, Alex, you to get a bottle opener? <laughs> Yeah, you know... Uh, you don't have a bottle opener in here? What's wrong? <laughs> well, I know. What kind of podcast is this? He does. His name is Jerry. But you can... Jerry you, the bottle opener. If you like this gluten-free beer, you can find it at any... You still live in the same place in Bloomington? Yeah. Byerly's. Byerly's has, has it. it. Oh, yeah. okay. Haskell's or something like Haskell's that? Haskell's definitely has it. Absolutely. Had lunch with... You know Jack Farrell? I like shipping. No, he's the, he's the guy over there at Haskell. He's the right? owner, yeah. yeah. Do you know him at all, Tim? No, I don't. Uh-uh. Had lunch with him yesterday. What an interesting guy. His whole life... Is is about being a wine merchant. Yeah, and he had just gotten back. He's taking a helicopter trip over the over the uh, vineyards in France. He's on Twin Cities Live a lot, isn't he? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think you're right about yeah. that. All I know okay. is he sounds like a good friend to have. I like him a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a shipment on its way over this afternoon. Here we go. Three, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Trip over France. I like I'm going to be back home by three o'clock because the Haskell truck is showing up at my door. There you go. But um, you know, he, you know, Robert Mondavi was from uh, Northern Minnesota originally, one of the great winemakers of all time. Mm-hmm. And I did not know Robert was not a big man. Nor- Northern Minnesota. Yeah, he's originally from Northern Minnesota. Yeah. Is he a ranger or what? He was a ranger. Yeah. Absolutely. And he, uh, <laughs> but Jack says to me. Uh, by the way, Jack was trained uh, as a pharmacist. 
so he knows a lot about medicinal things like that. He said Robert Mondavi lived to be, I think, 92. You know, this is, this is there's, there's, what, nothing in it? There's, there's no weed in it. <laughs> it's just beer. And urine. If he spits it out. <laughs> do the play-by-play. Play, huh? <laughs> yeah, we'll do a play-by-play. Play. What do you think? Tastes great. Yay! Ah, I'm telling you. Really. Hey, look, we're all going to get a lot healthier from doing this podcast today. <laughs> I feel better already. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm going to go and, and get someone bring this along with me on my hunting trip next week. Yeah. Good There's plan. also one called no, I don't, Shipyard. I don't drink really when, I, when I hunt. No, we don't, don't do that. Because you have guns and all the rest of it. Afterwards, you've got to have something to wash down the dust, and this will be, be... Oh, that'll be perfect. You got to Can South I say Dakota? the name of this one? Yeah. On the radio here? Yeah, hey, absolutely. Hey, maybe they'll sponsor Bards. Us. It's called Bards, Bards yeah. Yeah. And where's it out? I don't have my glasses on. Where's it out of? New York. Utica, New York. Uh, Honestly, God. In. I'm 54. Two years and you're 54. Jesus. Mm-hmm. 25 years ago. How do your kids <laughs> Sam is, I uh, think, going to come up here on Sunday the 16th when uh, Ken and I get back from South Dakota. And he's in Cincinnati, Ohio, taking some classes. And he's, I think, a semester away from his... Uh, four and a half year associate's degree, which takes to, well, is only a two year degree. Our son's on that program. Isn't he about like six, eight or something? Somebody told me six, six. He's about a big kid. And he wants to be in movies and he wants to write movies and, mm-hmm. and direct movies. And his birthday was Saturday. I called him Saturday uh, when I was out in Phoenix. He was in money, Cincinnati. Dad, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he was working till three and then he was going to go someplace. He was going to go to Penn Station in Cincinnati and get a sub sandwich and something and something and eat and go home and shave his beard off and then go to dinner. So I said, oh, for your birthday, you're going to eat and then you're going to eat. You're going to eat and then you're going to eat. That's awesome, Sam. My Uh, God, that beer smells good. It smells really good. (laughs) It really does. It's looking at me like, get away. Ron Gant you if you don't. Don't, Yeah, don't be messing with my beer. You'll be Ron Ganted. Look right there. You'll be Ron Ganted. I like that. Ron Ganted. Oh, Christ. It is good beer. Really, seriously. I mean, I Absolutely. I usually have a beer about noon every day. Um, <laughs> well, see, there you go. Yeah. Oh, I was going to tell you, by the way, that, that uh, I was talking to Jack Farrell yesterday, and he said that, that Robert Mondavi, not a big man, drank four bottles of wine every day of his life and died at 92. That whole deal about you can have two glasses of wine or two beers, it's, t- it's total bullshit. By himself, he drained four bottles? Yes. Great. Wow. He drank by himself. Must well, have been settle a down. Picnic to be around. I don't. He didn't put the weight on. That's the big difference. I couldn't do that because I put on weight like a madman. Drinking wine, you would. Oh God, yeah, because it's all sugar. It's all sugar. It's all sugar. But you know, he had to have a good pair of jeans. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> okay, he had a good pair, pair of jeans. One hell of a liver. And what? But it. But it's all about how you do it. Apparently, is from what Jack told me yesterday. If I drank four bottles of wine, first of all, if I drank three bottles of wine, I would go to sleep. Two, probably two bottles of wine. Glass. After being mean. <laughs> oh, here we go. I better move over next again. <laughs> now we're both being so that's what that does, Tommy. What am I? You get, get a little fiery after a glass of wine, huh? <laughs> no, Tim's been around me plenty of times. Okay. But. <laughs> Speechless. That came out of nowhere. White or red? White or red? Came out of nowhere. Does white wine do that to him? Yeah. Or does he get a little giggly over white wine? A little giggly, maybe. He's good until after like his third glass. Then all of a sudden he's like, oh, oh here it's another crazy ball game. This That's is an intervention. We all I, I've actually been sitting and watching ball games on summertime, drinking white wine more than I'll sit and drink a beer. Yeah. It's good stuff. Who are I'll you? give you a bottle of wine to take home with you. Well, well, white, like best bottle of white that. wine you've ever had. It's phenomenal. You get a parting you gift. Wine. You at least get a parting gift of a bottle of wine today. <laughs> so, two years ago. Hey, can I come next week, too? <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, Matt Hoy. I ran into Matt Hoy two years ago. It was just after your birthday, and you were kind of having a semi-birthday celebration yeah. up in that little deck area, right, right by the executive offices. So I go over there, you know, running to Timmy with first. With Kendall. Kendall Norberg was there with me. And uh, the last time he had seen Kent, Kendall's team got hammered because I think Kent hit th- three uh, home runs to win the – I think you, your team scored six runs and you, you had all six RBIs back oh. in high school. Ooh, that's right. Yeah. Kendall went to Cooper. Yeah, Kendall went to Cooper. Mm-hmm. So I go up to Kent and I said – Oh, by the way, it was really a really nice thing about uh, you know getting me to do the, the voiceover for the 50 Greatest Twins. He goes, oh, no? I said, yeah, I just, it was really nice, and you know, I appreciate it. It was, it was an honor to do it. And he goes, 
I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but for the 50 greatest twins, they picked me to do Burt Blylevin and Kent. And I assumed... I never heard it. <laughs> never even heard it. <laughs> when you were telling me about it. You did Gaetis. I did, I did Carews and yeah, Gaetis. Yeah. Was that yeah. a white wine day or a beer day? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just didn't know that he did me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, they never even sent it to you? I mean, I, I know, the first time I saw it was at the ballpark mm. that day, and I yeah. hear Tom was, a, was doing it. That, that was a PBS thing, wasn't it? <laughs> was yeah. No, 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 it was no. on Fox. It was on Fox. Oh, yeah. sorry. But he looks at me like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and the, one of my favorite things that Tim does is, you know Kendall Norberg, you met him that yep, day. Yep, We always we used to laugh about this out at the old RG, mm-hmm. that <laughs> Kendall, after Rolling a couple of glasses of beer... Or a couple of glasses of wine. Tim does this thing with his fingers. He holds his thumb and his his pointer about a quarter of an inch apart. And what does he always say after like three glasses of wine, Tim? What? I don't remember. You don't remember? I used to do it all the time. It was hilarious. He said, Kendall, you're the only guy I know. Every weekend you have a couple glasses of beer. I came this close. Came this close. (laughs) I came this close to kicking his ass. And he used to do it. Oh, he always put that right up together. This like, close. This <laughs> what a beautiful. He called me. He called me a couple of weeks ago, and I was walking through Target, and he and, and he just called out of the blue, and, and hey, Kendall, how you doing? He goes, oh, man, I haven't talked to you in a long time. I just wanted to call. Hey, I, hey, I miss you, man, and I love you. So I love you too, Kendall. Let me give you a call back after I get out of Target here, will you? <laughs> yeah, tell the guy I love you at Target. So I. Uh, <laughs> I owe Kendall a phone call and uh, coffee or lunch or something. Oh, this guy. You got to get out of here. Me? Yeah, I just, I just wanted you to look at your watch. No, I didn't look at my watch. I do. Oh, I thought you did. Important things to do. I can't even see my watch. He's wondering if he has time to <laughs> shoot more beers. <laughs> we got till 5 o'clock. <laughs> we got more beer in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have more. Uh, we so have now, more. what is this going to do for me? Back to my beer. Okay. It doesn't give me my beer belly then? Well, Tom went off gluten, and what was the result for you? Six-pack um, abs. <laughs> With I got, that's still a, part, abs. still a party <laughs> ball at this time. Um, I, I, my acid reflux dropped way off. Do you get acid reflux on nah. heartburn? You get that stuff? Well, so you're lucky there. Because, I mean, that was the first thing for me. I used to get... But, I, you know, I've been sitting around... How long have you been gluten-free? Five weeks. But you did have a gluten feed, and what happened? It gave me a screaming headache. And you but, were so tired the next day. Yeah, I was very, very tired the next like day. You looked like you were going to die. Yeah. So basically is what, what <laughs> he did. Mr. Laudner like, said. What's wrong with you, man? That eat some meat and eat some vegetables, eat a piece of fruit now and then. And, you know, if, if you go with uh, a real true ice cream, not this manufactured preservative-filled crap. All right, here we go. Now you're talking. Get, you, can eat, you can eat dairy as long as it's pure dairy. It's just that processed dairy, like Tim said. You mean like Ben and Jerry's or? Yeah, you know, there, there's stuff called Talente. It's a, it's it's a, a gelato. It's gelato. Gelato, right. That's just not bad you at all. you smear that stuff all Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Isn't that? He goes through that stuff, stuff like Randy Richmond. Are you kidding me? I don't even use a spoon. You can unscrew the cap. I love that. Well, you just throw the cap away when you open it. But see, that's not. That doesn't have a lot of preservatives and crap in it. So you can eat a lot less calories in that too. There's a lot less calories. That's absolutely right. It depends on I was just in Italy this spring learning about gelatos. You were? Yeah. What were you doing in Italy? Just went for vacation. So where'd you go? It's a fun place. Yes. We were in Rome, Tuscany, and we ended up in Venice. The best. Oh, you did? Yeah. God, there's like a, the wife and he told me he farted at the Vatican. Yeah, he farted at the Vatican. Yeah. That's wow. nice. That was a highlight. That's a nice wow. touch. That doesn't happen too often, I don't think. <laughs> Did you grow up Catholic? Yeah. Oh, see, so a Bohemian yeah. Catholic farts at the Vatican. Nice. That's what we do. Some nice lady recognized me at the Vatican the too. Dropped a Herbowski on me when I was there. She dropped a Herbowski at yeah. the Vatican. Yeah, at the Vatican. Walking. Oh in there my God. Hey, it's the great Herbowski. <laughs> Lady was from, the uh, she was from Hudson, is where she was from. Oh, yeah. Like and then she said, what the hell did you have for lunch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're laying them down. <laughs> 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 no, this bar stuff give me gas? 
No. Well, well hopefully not until you leave. On it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're going down island. Right? He likes to crop dust not everywhere until he you're goes. you're in the car with a lot of Yeah. <laughs> Poor Tim. Tim all the way home. It'll be. So you know, the gluten thing is is because I the wife has bought gluten bread. Gluten free bread. Gluten free bread. Yeah. Gluten free bread. And you toast it and put about a half a pound of butter on it, it tastes great. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> but it's better than a hunk of wheat bread. And again, if you get the, what, what's that butter called from Ireland? Uh-oh, we got gluten-free Carrie? butter. Kerry Gold? O'Malley's. Is it, it's that really, <laughs> really good butter that Blur you don't pack? have to use anywhere Blur near as good. much. Blur Pack's good. Blur Pack? Yeah, I think that's what I'm What's wrong about. with just regular butter? You need fat. Well, no, you do need fat. You're absolutely right. It's just... You just don't want the Look, stuff that's filled with preservatives. With preservatives. They okay, want so what the real butter. Butter. I gotta write all yeah. this stuff down. Now, what's the name of this butter? Lu- what? Who? It's Lupac, isn't it? Lurpac. Lurpac. L U R P A. Irish butters. They don't put any preservatives okay. in them. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this, the, it, the whole deal is about preservatives. I it's, mean, that's it's the whole really, thing. If you, if you have organics, <clears throat> it doesn't um, preserve you if you eat it. Yeah. That's I had exactly a protein right. shake and an apple this morning before I had it. Before I came. I thought home. you said you didn't want to do this shit anymore. No, I. Well, not sure. I'm a pseudo crier. You look in pretty good shape. I'm a pseudo crier. You look a good shape. You look a good shape. Like Kirby says every day, you can't polish a turd. It is what it is. I told I told Sandy, I told Sandy all my suits are rentals. So how about Sansevier? Nice information. I like that. Hey, you know Tom? My DDP is a friend of yours, Tom. Uh, you know he was the high school basketball player here in Pennsylvania. Yeah, bullshit and bullshit. <laughs> Neither one of them. What kind of credibility does that guy have? State, and he wasn't even a basketball. Player. <laughs> you know what? He fits right in in the sports department in the Twin Cities. I'll tell you. Well, there is that. <laughs> you can't even argue that point. Not it's a lot true. of wrestlers well, and basketball players, though, either. No, no I, I just like not. the way DDP do that. You know, if you're a, if you're a baseball player, football player, basketball player, wrestler. <laughs> he threw that in at the end. They do get slammed around a lot, though. Well, they do. They really do. They good do. athletes. Yeah. It's true. Good athletes. I got slammed around a lot by my grandpa if I got in the way of the TV while wrestling was on and something. Oh, yeah. If you walked in front of the TV when Grandpa was watching All-Star Wrestling. (laughs) Co-op. That will do it for this sprint of an episode. Unlike the twin season, which is definitely a marathon, and I hope that they remember that on this episode of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. Brought to you, as always, by Bradshaw and Bryant. Great clips this week. Brian Solis, Dahlia Schweitzer, Tim Lautner, and Ken Herbeck. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will see you next week.